This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for insights for global investors and access to research and expertise from across the investment industry. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is May 18th, 2023. Two weeks from now will be June 1st. Now, that's the date circled on a lot of investors' calendars, especially here in the U.S. That's the date which U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has identified as the day on which the U.S. will run out of money to pay its bills. That is unless Congress raises the debt ceiling. That's the amount of money the country is permitted to borrow by law. To get a view into what some investors are thinking, what could happen if the U.S. does indeed default, and a little historical context for good measure, we sat down with MSCI's Head of Portfolio Management Research and, you know it, BFF of the pod, Andy Sparks. Andy, welcome back to the program. Always great to speak with you. Delighted to be here, Adam. As you know, we are here to talk about the U.S. bumping up against what's known as the debt ceiling and what may happen within markets and the general economy. But before we look forward, let's take a look at where we are. What's been the actual impact on the market so far? Well, in terms of the broader markets, including equities and bonds, it's probably a good assumption to say that the broader markets have not yet been materially affected. But definitely in certain corners of the market, we have seen effects of of potential for a U.S. default. In the T-bill market, we've seen a noticeable increase in short maturity T-bills whose payments could be affected by hitting the U.S. debt ceiling. And credit default swap spreads on the U.S. government have sharply spiked up since the start of the year. And we find a very nice feature of looking at CDS spreads is that they can be used to derive a market implied probability of default. According to MSCI analysis, the CDS market implied probability of default over the next year is now approximately 4%, double the level of a couple of months ago, and up almost 10 times from the level at the beginning of the year. Is the rise more important than the absolute level? It's 4% by itself doesn't seem all that high. It's uh, sort of the market's way of saying that uh, this is still viewed as a tail event. It's um, it's not like it's 50%. And I, I know just from talking to friends and acquaintances, some think that 4% market implied probability is way too low. Others think it's way too high. The CDS market does provide an objective measure, but I will definitely say that it is a thinly traded market. So I I don't want to say that is the estimate of of default probability, but it does have the advantage that it is a traded market. What is it about this area of the market and others where we have seen an impact as opposed to others? Why in these areas and not, say, the broader equity market, as you mentioned? Well, Number one, just taking that 4% default market implied default probability we just um, mentioned, um, it's not a large number. And so in terms of assessing what could be the impact on the current markets, I think it's useful to think about 
A, what is the probability of default? And then if there were to be a default, how bad would it be? And so, like I said, it's very hard to detect any impact on, on the broader markets. And um, that may be partly attributed to a relatively low probability of default, but also if there were a default, maybe it's just going to be a technical default where there's delay payments for several days and then the government makes those payments and even pays some accrued interest um, for those bondholders who, who, who had delayed payments. And so under one view of the market, the technical default really does not have a, um, uh, a tremendous impact that could help um, explain why there's been a, a relatively small impact to date on the broader market. And sticking with that idea, just, just for one more moment, if somehow this question all went away tomorrow, does this tell us that the effect might continue along a muted path and, and perhaps even have a positive repercussion? To the extent that we don't think there's been a big impact on the broader market yet, if this problem just went away, there probably wouldn't be a large positive impact on the market, but volatility could be affected. It, it might go down some. Investors uh, generally do not like uncertainty, and this has been hanging over the market. So the, the credit default swap market, as well as the T-bill market, where we have seen um, a major move in, in very short T-bill yields, particularly those T-bills whose payments could be affected by, by the U.S. hitting the debt ceiling, then in, in those corners of the market, there could be some um, significant reaction um, to a, a resolution um, in the short term. What types of questions are clients asking? What's on their minds around this? I'd say there are um, broadly three different questions. The first is A, what is the probability of default? B, if there is going to be a default, what are different possibilities for that type of default? And then three, given default, what sectors could be most impacted? And this is definitely where um, scenario analysis comes into play. MSCI Research is currently working on modeling several different scenarios. Um, under the assumption of a U.S. default. And in, in all of the scenarios we're looking at, there are some negative economic effects um, and the equity market does trade off, but the impact on treasuries may differ. Two of our scenarios assume a technical default where treasury payments are delayed by a few days but are ultimately paid. Um, the third scenario is a, a much more dire one. It's where there's a protracted default and the default may extend weeks and um, many, many treasury holders are missing payments. And in our modeling, this is truly a very bad scenario where both bonds and equities are hard hit. And by the way, let me just underscore, uh, do not get me wrong. We are not saying that the US will default we're just focusing on if the U.S. defaults, what could be potential impacts on, on different markets. 
Thank you for that disclaimer, but let's get into a little bit more of the detail, perhaps starting with the the technical default. So we're looking at two different versions of a, of a technical default, and both of them, in terms of existing treasury holders who are expecting payments in, in both of our technical default scenarios, they are paid with accrued interest. They're, they're made whole, but... In one, we are saying that there will be uh, a negative impact on GDP of minus 0.5% over the next year. And we're modeling, call it stigma effects. The idea is that for the, the broader treasury market, they don't like the idea, even the possibility of missing a payment. So even though this time um, they were made whole, there's some concern that this could be a repeated game. So um, at the margin, the, the treasury market reacts a bit negatively. You could say it leaves a bad taste in investors' mouth, and there's a general trade-off in treasury yields. Um, in our other flavor of a technical default, we're assuming that the economic hit is, is larger. So we're assuming that GDP over the next year goes down 1%. It triggers a, uh, a, a mild recession. And so you still have this sort of stigma effect. Investors don't like the fact that, that the government did default, albeit for a short period of time. But you also have this recession effect, just sort of taking pressure off of the Fed. So the Fed does not need to be as aggressive at keeping rates high. And a natural slowdown in the economy, in our modeling, um, actually leads to a, a, a small rally in treasuries. And so under our two different technical default scenarios, um, each has a, a negative economic effect because the, the recession sort of outweighs the stigma effect that affects the more mild um, technical default scenarios. Now, that third scenario is where it's really bad um, for, for investors in treasuries as well as, um, as equities. And so call it political gridlock um, creates this, this protracted um, crisis. And it has a very sharp uh, negative impact on the, the equity market. And rather than equity holders all rushing into U.S. treasuries, treasuries sell off too. For investors in multi-asset portfolios, including bonds and equities, it's truly a very bad, um, bad situation. And uh, the diversifying role that a lot of investors have become accustomed to when there's a sharp sell-off in equities is absent. The real difference is the recession. The Fed, of course, has raised rates very significantly over the past 14 months. And we've heard the Fed is thinking of pausing. That was um, apparent at uh, the last FOMC um, meeting and the press conference that uh, Chair, Chair Powell held. And a recession could help the Fed do its work. You could have inflation beginning to come down. It could take pressure off of the Fed. And uh, effectively, it could help um, push rates down over the longer term. And the Treasury market, um, anticipating that, 
could rally in response. It very much hinges on um, one's view about um, the depth of the economic decline and the idea that in a stronger economic decline, um, the Fed maybe needs to be less vigilant in combating inflation. How much of a role does the Fed have to play here? The Fed, uh, at their last meeting, um, this issue was discussed. And as you may recall, the Fed did raise um, the Fed funds rate 25 basis points. And Chair Powell did say that the debt ceiling um, was discussed, um, but it was not an important decision in raising rates. And he's going back to remarks he also made in March. um, He basically says that the Fed cannot um, protect the economy or preserve the U.S. government's reputation if, if the government does not pay its bills. And so understand the Fed is supposed to be an independent agency, and the Fed tries very carefully to stay outside of political fights. So the Fed's point is that um, they, they can't really do much about – they can't do anything about the deficit and the likelihood of fitting it. So in Chair Powell's words, he says that he realizes that the consequences of default are hard to estimate but could be extraordinarily adverse and do long-lasting harm. Um, so they're paying close attention to this. And I, I should say that in previous uh, in, in previous time periods when we came close to hitting the debt ceiling, most recently in 2013, um, the Fed did have uh, some special working groups looking at uh, the potential of hitting the debt ceiling and what could happen to financial markets. And Chair Powell was not chair then, but he was working at the Fed and he was involved in some of those discussions. So uh, Chair Powell does have some personal experience when it comes to uh, looking at at the impact of um, of the debt ceiling. But I, like I said before, I think they want to steer clear of policy debates with a – call it a 10-foot pole. That's certainly consistent and reminds me of some conversations that you and I have had before in terms of the importance of investors and markets around the world, frankly, having faith in the Fed. So it almost seems like part of what you're saying and part of maybe what Chair Powell is trying to do is – by reasserting this independence, but still talking about some potential downfalls if the government were to default, trying to make sure that they're they're letting markets know that they can have this faith, that we are sticking with our mission, so to speak. Is that a fair assessment? Yes, and take into account the Fed has a huge um, research staff. So they have lots of uh, well-trained economists who are looking at all sorts of different issues. And although I'm personally not privy to exactly what the uh, internal research groups are focusing on and the information that they're feeding Chair Powell, um, I, I, I think it's safe to say that they, they do have uh, – they are um, very attentive to this and also take into account that uh, although the Fed's uh, mandate is um, – to maximize employment and uh, to provide uh, low and stable prices. They do have a financial stability role as well, and we have seen them um, 
play play that role at various times. So, of course, going back to the global financial crisis in 2008, they were highly, um, highly interventionist. They launched um, a huge wave of uh, quantitative easing. And then during the um, early stage of the pandemic, they, they launched another huge round of uh, quantitative easing, and they set up other emergency vehicles to help uh, stabilize the economy at that time. And even more recently, in March, when we had, uh, when we had the first uh, uh, signs of problems in regional banks and several um, significant regional banks failing, the Fed did introduce some emergency programs to, um, to calm markets. So in, in the case of a really bad situation uh, involving a U.S. default, particularly if, uh, if U.S. financial um, uh, institutions, if there's some risk, at some point the Fed could play the financial stability card and say we, we, need, to, we need to intervene to try to stabilize um, markets. But it may require a really, really bad uh, crisis before they would play that card because, again, this is inherently a partisan debate. A lot of what we're looking at is helping investors manage risk. But is there anything in, in any of the scenarios that present potential opportunities for investors, even in the case of default? Well, I've worked around investors many years, and some investors love volatility. <laughs> it creates trading opportunities. And where there is major movement in markets, um, oftentimes dislocation um, creates mispricing. Some investors, they try to keep some powder dry precisely to seize on, um, on the potential for market dislocation. So even though for the average investor, a general sell-off in volatility in the market is, is bad, there will certainly be some investors who can actually seize the opportunity and take advantage of it. So let's call them the more nimble investors who are willing to uh, live through the, the early stage of a crisis and can, in, can intervene and buy um, where others are selling. They're able to buy at potentially distressed prices. So also, let me just say the CBO just came out with a, a report a few days ago looking at projected deficits going forward. And their numbers show sort of deficits as a percent of GDP is growing. And um, there are some out there who say that the current level of debt is um, is unsustainable over the longer term. And so some investors might say, we have a long-term problem with the uh, with debt. It's maybe better to take some short-term pain and uh, go through this situation now. So that's one view. Another view is that the current level of debt is not that big of a deal. And under that view of the world, it's maybe better to avoid short-term pain there are plenty of buyers of U.S. Treasuries, even though rates have risen um, over the past year and a half. By historical standards, they're still relatively low. Even rising deficits are not necessarily that bad, as long as you have lots of buyers of U.S. Treasuries. So, um, and depending what camp you're from, you could say that the current situation is uh, is necessary or is something that we really need to avoid at all costs. What about outside the US? What are 
what are investors and markets and even policymakers thinking as they as they watch this unfold? As uh, we look at these scenarios that I mentioned earlier, we were having the dollar weaken. And so the idea is that this crisis is sort of homegrown. It's, it's, it's emanating from the U.S. Under that view of the world, um, markets outside of the U.S., although they could be negatively affected, um, they may be less negatively affected than in the U.S. What's different today, say, compared with 2011 in terms of the state of the economy, the state of the markets, obviously inflation a lot higher, but what's the impact of these conditions? 2011 was uh, in sort of modern um, U.S. uh, financial history. It was probably the situation where we came closest to a default. So I, I mentioned earlier that MSCI analysis uh, is the current um, CDS market implied probability of default is is about 4%. We also did a similar analysis of 2011 and the debt crisis that we experienced then. And um, our our estimate of default when, when CDS spreads were at their wides in 2011 is that that probability of default was actually higher than now. It was actually 7%. You know, that was the market's way of saying that it was a real serious issue just as it is now. Um, but it is, there was a very strong market reaction to not just to the possibility of default, but several days after um, a compromise was reached and the debt ceiling standoff was, um, was addressed in Congress, the S&P did downgrade the U.S. credit rating. And that uh, appeared to have set in motion a, a, a very strong reaction in financial markets. And so there was a strong sell-off in the equity market, but somewhat, it was very ironic, but there is a strong rally in U.S. Treasuries. And so even though seemingly U.S. Treasuries were the the cause of a lot of the problem, uh, it actually seemed to benefit from the downgrade, and at least for several months it benefited. So a, a natural question in the current situation is, well, if there was that strong positive um, buying of U.S. Treasuries back then, might that occur this time around? It is a possibility, but I think it's also important to look at um, at differences in 2011, the Fed was still very much involved in, in quantitative easing. They were adding to their balance sheet. They were buying U.S. Treasuries. In the current markets, uh, we have a Fed that is engaged in quantitative tightening. They're letting their balance sheet run off. And so that Fed backstop is absent now. Number two, 2011, we had in Europe, we had the uh, Greek government bond crisis, um, uh, which was dominating a lot of the the news and casting a a shadow over the the entire um, Eurozone sovereign bond market. And you don't have that sort of cloud now. I think those are a couple of important differences that could lead to a, a very different reaction in the um, in the treasury market, and also take into account that the the U.S. did not default, and 
that rally occurred after the political compromise. But this time around, the we don't yet have a political compromise, and it's not clear what form or when it may occur. Getting back to the scenarios we've modeled, in our bad scenario, there's an actual outright default. And that does, in our, in our modeling, it does lead to a sharp sell-off in strong contrast to what happened in 2011. Now, that's a good point. I mean, I, I, even given all the political turmoil, et cetera, in 2011, as you mentioned, there was no default. There, we did pull back from the brink. Could that be another driver you know, the, into why treasuries remained this destination for folks who are, quote unquote, fleeing to quality? Absolutely. Ultimately, that 2011 um, default was averted, and it may have restored some investors' confidence in the um, willingness of the U.S. government to pay to pay bondholders what they are due. The other example you mentioned was a couple of years later, uh, 2013. What did what did we see there? Yeah, again, it's interesting. So as I mentioned 2011 was really the first time in quite a while that we came close to hitting that um that debt ceiling um two years later we came close to hitting the debt ceiling again and um it was uh within a few days of hitting it but what's interesting then is that we did not see this sharp sell-off in equities we did not see a sharp rally in treasuries there are Definitely were some effects, but they were considerably more muted than what we observed in 2011. And, you know, one view of that is that the market inside of those two years, the market had become, let's say, a little accustomed to this happening. And a little bit of an issue of the same thing is going on now. And um, so in the past, 12 years, we've seen twice this happening before, and now we're entering into a, a, a third time period, and we are able to look at what happened in the past, and um, I think many investors feel that even in case of default, it will be a technical default, and the consequences of having this protracted default are, are so consequential and so negative that the likelihood of it occurring is, is very small. So um, maybe the market, maybe the current market is partly looking back to 2013 and is saying, well, it wasn't that bad then. We, but again, we did not technically default then. And the real question I think facing investors now is that what if it is a default? And even if it is a technical default, how bad might it be? We've talked about a lot of different things here over the course of the conversation. But what, when you're speaking with clients or just to our audience here, what can you offer them in terms of particular data points to continue to watch for as they try and figure out how to best manage these risks in their portfolios? First of all, these these market-based measures of default and trying to observe the the current impacts on markets, those are very important. And like I said, so far, it's it's mainly been in sort of corners of the market, like 
the CDS market and the T-bills market. We haven't really seen this, this broader impact, but it's something to be very attentive to. It's also being attentive to, call it, let's call it, sailing into uncharted waters. Certain statements I think the, the market will be very attentive to is that, well, if it is going to be a default, what sort of guidance could policymakers and political figures be saying in advance of that? If, um, if we do enter into default, if, if there's political consensus and if there's actually acts of Congress saying, well, we have to solve this issue within a week, you know, that's going to be the type of comfort investors would like to hear. So I'm dealing in conjecture here. We're dealing in hypotheticals. But um, even even into a technical default to the investors are going to be looking very carefully at what form of a technical default might happen and particularly whether it's going to be bounded. So what investors do not want is an open-ended default. That's that could be this more protracted situation I mentioned to. So to the extent that um, congressional leaders can assure investors, well, if there's a default, we're really going to make sure that it's extremely short term. And this time you can believe us. <laughs> you know, that sort of assurances would be very comforting, but also uh, potentially not necessarily easy to deliver. We'll have to wait and see. Andy, thank you so much as always for joining us and providing your insights on a continually fluid situation, unfortunately, but um, we will continue to watch as it unfolds. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Adam. Bye. That's all for this week. A big thank you from Joe and me to Andy and to all of you for listening. You can find Andy and team's latest research on the debt ceiling debate, as well as other insights at MSCI.com. Next up on the program, we dive headfirst into the sea of climate-related regulation that investors are facing in the European Union. Until then, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe, everyone.